0: chapter 15, Exodus 15. We're going to get right into it. Exodus 15. I'm going to give you the title of this message right from the start. The title of this message is Securing Freedom. Securing Freedom. How many people know that freedom requires some securing? I know it's not a popular thought today, but it's true. Freedom isn't free. Freedom isn't free, and you'll find that freedom and security go hand in hand. What isn't secure quite often doesn't remain free. There's there's a lot of haters that that don't like America, and if if you talk to them, if you listen to them. You'll find that their rhetoric is that America is a big bully. She sticks her nose in where you know she's not wanted and you know she's a superpower and whatever. But you need to understand that the facts are that America is unlike any other nation in human history that was a superpower, or at least had a military advantage over other nations that did not use it for her own gain. That did not use it to oppress to suppress, to enslave, to dominate, to colonize. In fact, America does the exact opposite. She uses her military prowess, her military strength, rather to go and set other nations free from dictators, tyrannical leaders, and all kinds of radical regimes. And she continuously sheds her blood. She sheds her blood in nations all over the world to bring the liberty and the freedom that we have here to those places. But what I've discovered is that freedom is not free. So in case I haven't said thank you today to uh, all those who serve in our armed services, those who have husbands, wives, sons, daughters, mothers, fathers who serve, uh, those who are just related to people that serve, thank you. Thank you on behalf of C3 Church for all that you do. Thank you, thank you. Thank you. Now Now I know that, you know, uh, you know, apparently, apparently pastors are not meant to get political. <clears throat> pastors are not meant to get political. But I just thought it doesn't stop the political people from interfering with God, church, faith, prayer, prayer in schools, 10 commandments in Halls, crosses on the sides of roads, nativity scenes on the corn. doesn't stop the politic people from invading religion. So why should I just kind of back down? And um, I'm backing down. You know, you, you want to talk? Let's talk. Because uh, the word politic means to influence. It means to influence. And the church is meant to have influence. So, so the only reason I say that is, is if you kind of wonder why, you know. I, I, now, I will never violate. Listen, here's the truth. Everything we do, we do with integrity. We believe in prosperity, which really is increase with integrity. God wants you to increase. And in the absence of me teaching you how to prosper, you'll find that the temptation rises and becomes greater for you to increase without integrity and uh, life is too short to get caught up in get rich quick schemes or get taken by scams or or get a bad name in the marketplace because you cut corners and whatever and so we want to teach you what the bible teaches that god wants you to prosper he wants you to increase with integrity same way when it comes to to voting and legislation and politics and all that kind of stuff i will never tell you who to vote for i will never say hey you ought to vote for this candidate and don't vote for that candidate, and, and this candidate is, you know, there's the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and then this candidate, and then this one is, you know, Lucifer in, you know, carnate form or whatever. I'll, I'll never do that. I'll never tell you, but I will not back down from what I believe is is a civic duty to, you know, speak and talk about the very issues that will affect you, that will affect your children, and will affect your children's children. Somebody's just going kind to of say that, you know, and... So I know that I know that there is, you know, there's two kind of views, and you know, there's a lot of people who believe that America is a bully, and you know, we brought nine eleven on ourselves, and all that kind of stuff, and and they don't really like America, they don't want to leave America. You'll probably notice they don't want to leave. They wish we were more like Cuba, they just don't want to live in Cuba. They wish we were more like Europe, but they don't want to live in Europe because, you know, 70% of your... T- we want free health care, we want free this, free this. We just don't want to pay 70% of our income tax, you know, somehow. Anyway, and so, so you know, and those same people. But I found that freedom requires some securing. Freedom requires some securing. I have freedom in my house because it's secure. I remember, you know, walking past a car near where, where we used to live in Carmel Valley and, you know, the car was kind of littered with, you know coexist and peace you know with all the different symbols on there but I noticed that the car had one of those those uh, lock bars, what are they called? Club. Clubs, club you know thing on, on the steering wheel I thought interesting you, you, you don't believe in good and evil you just think everything, you know if we all just coexist but yet you've locked your car and put a club on there because obviously you can't trust everybody you coexist with Anyway, and so so the title of my message is Securing Freedom. So come with me to Exodus chapter 15. And uh, I know I gave the sound guys verse 22, but let's just back it up to verse 20 if we can, guys. Exodus 15 verse 20. Yell out when you're there. Exodus is the second book of the Old Testament. Give me a yell if you're sitting next to somebody good looking. Summer Peterson, you should have given a really loud yell. You're sitting next to my wife. then Miriam the prophet I've got a little making up to do so <clears throat> have I told you lately that I love you? Have I told you there's no one else above you okay here we go exodus fifteen twenty then Miriam the prophetess, the sister of Aaron took the timbrel in her hand and all the women went out after her with timbrels and with dances. and Miriam answered them sing to the Lord for he has triumphed gloriously the horse and its rider he has thrown into the sea verse 22 so Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea and they went out into the wilderness of Shur and they went three days in the wilderness and found no water everyone say no water now, when they came to Mara, they could not drink the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. Therefore, the name of it was called Mara, which in Hebrew means bitter. And the people complained against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? So he cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree. When he cast it into the waters, the waters were made sweet. There he made a statute and an ordinance for them, and there he tested them and said, If you diligently heed the voice of the Lord God, the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes and give ear to his commandments and keep all of these statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you which I have brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. Then they came to Elam, where there were twelve wells of water. Trivia question. How many wells? How many tribes in Israel? Interesting. 12 wells of water and 70 palm trees. How many palm trees? How many elders did Israel have? Interesting. So they camped there by the waters. I love this passage of scripture, and the reason I I, uh, felt the Lord say, I want you to preach on this text this weekend is because it's kind of the the culmination, it's the closure, it's the closing of what has really been quite an extraordinary month. For those who are with us, the very, very first Sunday in January, we decided we were calling it Shredder Sunday, and we had shredding machines down here, and we brought, you know, some of our debts and some of our lawsuits and, you know, issues and struggles and, you know, whatever. We brought things down here, and we shredded them, believing that this was a year that God was going to deliver us this is a year that we're going to see the hand of God the mighty hand of God and I'm telling you you know when when you and I get stuck it's always good to lift your eyes to heaven Jesus says what is impossible with men is possible with God so sometimes if you're in a debt and you're just thinking well how could God possibly help me you know I'm just kind of stuck in this thing and it's a 30 year and I just got to pay it I've just found that what is impossible with men is possible with God. We just got to lift our eyes. We just got to get with God. And so we had shredding machines. The second week was Vision Sunday. Vision Sunday, I found that uh, we all need a vision to live for. God put our eyes in the front of our head because He knows the importance of us looking forward. Life becomes empty and hope dissipates when you're no longer looking forward. My kids are always excited. I remember Zoe coming into our bedroom the day after Christmas, climbs up on the bed and she's bouncing on the bed. She's like, Daddy, how many sleeps? How many sleeps? I'm like, how many sleeps till what? Till my birthday, till my birthday. I'm like, Girl, your birthday's August 17. I need a calculator to figure out how many sleeps. I said, Well, why? She goes, I just love presents. She's already looking forward to her birthday. You know, and we can laugh, but the saddest thing that happens to a human being is when they no longer look forward. God put our eyes in the front of our head, not in the back, and yet so many people look back. Man, if I could just turn back time, share. If I could find a way. If I could just go. You can't go back, sweetheart. Keep moving. Yesterday, all oh, my trouble seems to Paul, No wonder you're focusing on the wrong thing. The Beatles, John, keep looking forward. God wants to give you a vision, something to look forward to. Then the week after that was Faith Week, and then last week was Freedom Weekend, and then today, Baptism Sunday. But I want to talk about that because this scene, this story in this Bible literally follows God's mighty, miraculous, powerful deliverance of the nation of Israel out of Egypt, which is Old Testament symbology, symbolism for you and I getting born again out of a world system out of the corruption that is in the world you and I have been delivered from Egypt Egypt is the world and so God delivers them ten mighty judgments on their ten gods brings them out with a mighty hand they are saved out of Egypt they are saved from being slaves The Bible says that you and I were once slaves of sin, but now through Christ, we've been set free. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Galatians 5 verse 1. Somebody say amen. But what I love about God is if you look at the story in the Old Testament, God wasn't content just to save them. Did you know that? The Bible says that when when God brought them out with a mighty hand, there was not one who was feeble amongst them. Now that perplexes me because there was over a million Israelites or around about a million Israelites. And they'd been in bondage, in servitude, in slavery, working from dawn till dusk, you know, six days a week, from dawn till dusk, six days a week for 10 generations. There were elderly, there were middle age, there were young people, there were children, and there were babies. So powerful was the blood of the Lamb Just a one-year-old lamb without spot or blemish, bloodshed, and put on the lentils of the doorpost so that the, the destroyer had to pass over That blood was so powerful, the Bible says there wasn't one feeble, not somebody with a bad back, not somebody with a bad knee, not somebody with a migraine, not somebody with arthritis, not somebody, there was not one, not a sick baby, not a flu, not a symptom, there wasn't one feeble amongst them. Because can I tell you, salvation is not limited to just the saving of your soul. Jesus to save you and I just had to die on the cross, but the Bible says He, gave his back to those who beat him because Isaiah 53 5 says that by his stripes we are healed salvation isn't just salvation it is also healing but wait there's more the Bible says that God spoke to the children of Israel the night before the Passover and says tonight is the night of the Passover this is what I want you to do I want you to go to your Egyptian neighbors and I want you to ask of them for their silver for their gold because you are going to destroy Spoil the Egyptians, payback for ten generations of slavery, ten generations of ripoff, ten generations of servitude. I'm going to bring you out with a mighty hand. I'm going to prosper you. And so, after nine judgments, the the, the, the Egyptians are like, whatever you want, whatever you want, just take it, just take. It. You like you like this? Here's the here. you like this gold? Oh, you like yeah. you know you like this? You know, and, and they're just giving them stuff. They're just and so they're you know kind of walking out. So so we see that not only is there healing. Not only is there salvation, there's also prosperity. So when people say, I think at C3 Church, they preach a prosperity gospel. We just preach the gospel. It's all packaged in there. It's all together. God wants you to increase. God wants you to flourish. But wait, there's more. God also delivers them. He completely delivers them from under bondage. Now, He brings them out, and the Bible says they come to the Red Sea. They have a Red Sea in front of them. And the Bible says that Pharaoh said, what have I done? I just lost my entire labor force. Who's going to trim the gardens? Who's going to build me the buildings? Who's going to clean the palace? Who's going to do my my, my donkey's work? So he gets his army together. And the Bible says he chose 600 of his choicest chariots, these were chariots that, on the wheels, had blades, so that if if you got out of the way, you know the the, the blades stuck out about half a yard. That you know they take a leg off if they went past. These these were fortified. They had platforms on them, so that archers could stand, and the platforms w- were constructed so that even going like that, that. The, the platforms would provide a level of security so the archers could still shoot arrows straight. 600 of those plus the rest of his infantry, the rest of his horses, the rest of his chariots all came up. Now the children of Israel had come to an impasse. They were at the Red Sea. The reason I'm telling you this is because it ties into baptism. Because the crossing of the Red Sea is a Old Testament picture of New Testament water baptism. It's exactly the same. So many of us experienced freedom last week. Come on, how many people got some freedom last week? But you will find that no sooner did you get free that the very things that was that were broken off your life, the very things that were evicted, the very things that were sent out, the very things that were that you were delivered from, would have this week made its biggest quest to come back to try and get back in to try and pull you back to Egypt to try and get a hold over you again to try and rule over you again to try and lord over you again and so the children of Israel come to the waters of the Red Sea now they have not learned to swim because they didn't have any time to learn swimming they were slaves so none of them they couldn't just swim across there were no boats so they couldn't paddle across they were stuck while they're there at this impasse, the ground begins to shake. You've heard me preach it. A dust cloud forms in the background, and they see the entire might of the Egyptian army. At this particular time in human history, Egypt was the most powerful nation on the planet. She had the mightiest military, you know, army on the planet. She was a superpower at that time, and Now the children of Israel have a superpower army coming to grab them and to bring them back. And so the people began to cry out, saying to Moses, isn't this what we told you? Leave us alone. We want to serve the Egyptians, which is not what they said. They were crying out to God, you know, because of the taskmasters. But it's amazing how you forget that kind of stuff. And so Moses says to God, what do I do? And God says, tell the people to move forward and then stretch out your staff and part the seas. So Moses stretches out his staff and... The waters open up in the Red Sea. So the Bible says there was a wall of water on their left and a wall of water on their right, and the entire nation, almost a million people, walk through the midst of the seas on dry ground. That is baptism, where where you go into the sea. You literally go into the waters. But watch this. When Pharaoh arrives and sees them going through the waters and sees the, the walls of water standing up, he commands his... Officers to go in after them. So they ride down into the sea after them. But the Bible says the Lord worked against them, taking the wheels off and them getting bogged down and getting stuck. And, and then they realize the Lord is fighting for the Israelites. But it was too late. When the last little Israelite stepped out onto the bank on the other side, God said to Moses, Now stretch out your staff and bring the waters on top. And so when he stretched out his staff, the waters came in and closed on top of the Egyptian army and the entire army. Army was drowned. Pharaoh, because of his arrogance, that he dare strike against God's people, that he dare raise his hand against the Lord's anointed with his might. He thought arrogantly his might could undo what God had done. Egypt went from the most powerful military nation to the most vulnerable nation on earth at that time because they lost their entire military. They were all drowned in the Red Sea. They were now exposed and vulnerable. But the but the Israelites came out on the other side completely free. There was now, now no longer any power able to take them back. It was all drowned in the sea. That's why baptism is so powerful because you go through the waters of baptism and every hold, every addiction, every chain, every habit, every negative, everything, is left behind. It is broken. It is severed. When you come up, we're going to drain that thing. When we pull the plug, all your old junk is going to get washed down. All your old attitude is going to get down. All your addictions are going to get washed down. It's all going to get washed down. Somebody say amen. So then Exodus 15 kicks in and the Bible says that Moses writes a song. And the whole nation sing this song of God's power, God's miraculous deliverance, God's goodness, God's redemption, God's fulfilling of a promise He gave hundreds of years, four hundred years ago. He gives His promise to Joseph that the God would deliver uh, Israel and deliver them out of. Egypt. And, and so Moses is singing this awesome song. And the Bible says all the people sang the song of Moses. Well, Miriam's like, I've got a song. And so she starts singing a song. And so everybody's dancing and they're singing Miriam's song as well. The horse and its rider has been thrown into the sea. The Lord has delivered. Woo! And they're all singing the song. Then the Bible says they went three days journey. Now, I don't know about you, but if I saw God open up a sea, and I walked through the midst of a sea on dry ground and I had walls of water on one side, walls of water on the other side. And I'm walking through going, oh, I hope God can hold this up. And I get all the way to the other side and then I see my enemies coming in after me and I see God completely take care of them. I don't know about you, but I reckon I could ride in that for a little longer than three days. I reckon at least three months, maybe even the next three years, I'd be able to give God glory. I, I'd be good with that. I'd be like, God, you're a man, me and you, like this. But the Bible says they went three days' journey, and there was no water. And when they came to the waters of Marah, they couldn't drink it because the waters were bitter, and so they complained against Moses and against the Lord. They complained. So today I want to talk to you about securing your freedom because they were saved, they were healed, they were blessed and prospered, they were delivered, they went through the waters of baptism, but at their first negative moment, at their first pothole, at their first disappointment, the Bible says there it was a test, at their first testing, what comes up? Their old M.O., The old modus operandi of being negative, of whining, of complaining, even though they're delivered, even though they're set free, what happens is they they hit a disappointment. What comes up? Negativity comes up. It's the first thing that surfaces. How many people know that it, it was less about God getting Israel out of Egypt as it was getting Egypt out of Israel? See, it's less about getting you and I born again. That was easy for God to get you and I Well. I mean, it cost him his son, so, but the the battle is trying to get the world out of you and I. It's easy to, it seems easier to get us out of the world than get the world out of you and I. And so, how do we secure our freedom? I want to give you three quick points on how to do it. Number one is consistency. Consistency. If you worked in the workstation or the cubicle or the office next door to one of these people, that three days ago they come in to work on the Lord is awesome. oh he's so good, oh, he's He awesome. he's awesome. And at lunchtime he got it he delivered me. And you're you blabbering and the walls are water and and Egyptian and and you you you, you mean, man. And then three days later, oh, I don't know, like, it. You be like, dude, dude, come. you need to get some consistency. One minute God is good, the next minute you don't even know if he's real, then he's good again. That's no way to live. That's no way to live. You've got to get some consistency. Everyone say consistency. See, consistency is you're the same on the mountain as you are in the valley. The key to a great life is consistency. So how do you build consistency? It's really simple. See, every single one of us in this room have dysfunction. It's not about whether we have or don't have dysfunction. We all got dysfunction. It's just what levels of dysfunction we got. Now, I know that can sound presumptuous. So if you don't have any dysfunction, would you please levitate so the rest of us can... All right, nobody. All right, so, so we, all, we all, because we're all biologically sons of Adam. We are all biologically so. Now, I know we're born again of the second Adam Jesus Christ but there's a battle going on where, where Jesus' nature is trying to outgrow into the areas where the biological nature still has its old MO its old attitude its old issues its old habits its old struggles its old baggage its old upbringing all that kind of stuff and that's that's what this is about so what I found is that that when I got saved I had a whole bunch of habits I had a whole bunch of issues but I felt God speak to me and He says Jurgs you can overcome that simply by not trying to focus on breaking back bad habits, but rather forming good habits. I remember somebody once, many years ago, in my youth ministry got saved and I said, oh, Pastor, I've just got so many issues. I'm just not sure I'm going to make it. Is there any way that you can guarantee that I can make it? And I wanted to tell them, well, I've got no guarantees. And then I actually said, you know what? Actually, there is. And they're like, well, there is? I said, yeah, just do the right thing continuously. Just keep doing the right thing. Be consistent. Be in church. Huh? Yeah. Be in church. Every week. Every week. Just make a decision. When the house of God's open, I'm in the house of God. Be in church. Be in a connect group. Get around other people. The Bible says as iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. Let other people it's not good for a man to be alone. So so be in a place where you've you, you got fellowship. Be being in that. Be someone who prays. Prayer is awesome. So you don't have to worry about negative stuff if you're doing the positive stuff. My pastor, Phil Pringle, says you can either stay up late at night with the devil or you can get up early in the morning and be with God. Your choice. Most most kind of people fall into sin after about 10 o'clock at night. Just go to bed. Just say, I'm going to miss that. I've got an appointment with God in the morning. Get up and pray. Be consistent with your language. The Bible says we enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. So I've made a decision, out of my mouth will come thanksgiving and out of my mouth will come praise. These guys were thankful, praising, but three days later, they would revert back into the old modus operandi of whining and complaining. Don't live like that. Elijah comes to the children of Israel and says, how long will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, serve him. But if Baal, serve him. But you're over here with the Lord one day, and then you're with Baal another day, and with the Lord one day, and Baal another day. Just make a decision. If God is God, go all out. If Baal is God, go But quit living in the middle. God says, I wish you were either hot or cold, you know, but you're lukewarm, so I'm gonna spew you out of my mouth. The lukewarm is when you mix hot and cold. God wants you to either be hot or just, just make a stand somewhere. He's saying, get consistent. Can I just encourage you, build some consistency. Build consistency with your mouth. Build consistency with your life. They say the secret of success is success in the secret. The secret of success is success in the secret. If you want success to become a habit, Start building the habits of success. It's No rocket science. This is really simple. If you just keep doing the right thing, the right thing will become a habit. I feel like I've missed something in the morning if I haven't prayed. It's not because I you know, walk on water or levitate. It's just I've done it for so long that something's missing if I haven't prayed, if I haven't read the Word, if I haven't connected with God because it's a habit. The Bible says Jesus often withdrew into the wilderness and the lonely places. The Bible says, and Jesus went into the synagogue as was his habit. So this is the Son of God who is God in a human body. If anybody didn't need to go to church, it was him. And the Bible says, and yet Jesus went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day as was his habit. It was his habit. Why was he so successful? Because of his habits. Build consistency. Just keep doing the right thing. But you don't understand, Pastor, slip back. You're going to slip back. You're going to trip up. You're going to have some stumbles. You're going to skin your knee. Just get up again and just keep going. And you'll find you'll build positive habits that will overcome the negative ones. Somebody say amen. Number two. So number one, consistency. Number two, have a song of your own. Have a song of your own. The Bible says they sang the song of Moses. They sang the song of Miriam. Don't just let it be C3 song. Don't just let it be Hillsong song. Let it be your song. Because have a look at Exodus 15 verse 2. Exodus 15 verse 2 says, The Lord is my strength and song. The Lord is my strength and song. So let me just tell you this. Your strength is connected to or related to your song. You didn't hear me, so I need to say it again. Your strength is found in your song. Your song determines your strength. Moses says, The Lord is my strength and song. There are a lot of songs, not all, uh, about the Lord. If your song is I like big butts and I cannot lie, you others can't deny. When a girl walks it, if that's your song, ain't gonna be no strength coming your way. <laughs> it's too late to apologize. Too late. No, that's not gonna bring you strength to resolve issues in a relationship. If your song is, make me your Aphrodite, make me your one and only, but don't make me your enemy, your enemy, your enemy. So you want to play with magic, boy you better know what you're falling for, baby do you dare to do this, cause I'm coming at you like a dark horse, are you ready for, ready for, a perfect storm, perfect storm. Cause what you mind, once you mind, there's no going back. <laughs> you gotta get a different song, Katy Perry. Let your song, let your song be Our God Reigns. Let your song be, our God is an awesome God who reigns in heaven above, in wisdom, power, and love, our God is an awesome. Let your song be one of the Lord because the song of the Lord will become your strength and it'll become your strength in the heat of the battle. It'll become your strength when you're falling down. It'll become your strength when the enemy tries to take you. It'll become your strength to bring consistency into your life. Your strength and your song are connected. In fact, the name Judah, literally the house of Judah where the Messiah came from, was, literally means praise. Now, songs are powerful. Don't ever discount them. Songs are powerful because what you sing about, you bring about. In Isaiah 54, God says, Sing, O barren, and you who have not borne; For more are the children of the desolate woman than her who is with husband. Here is a woman who is barren, unable to produce, and God says, sweetheart, before I can change what's in your womb, i got to change what's in your mouth. Most of us, you know, I I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but, you know, before I dated Pastor Leanne, when I went through a breakup, turned on the radio. (laughs) Oh, my God. You know, Elton John, sad songs say so much. La, 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 la. Ah, la, 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 sad song. He's like, that's, that's our song. <laughs> Who can mend a broken heart? Oh, yeah, no one can. No one understands. <laughs> Words don't come easy to me. Oh, they don't come easy. They don't come easy. And, you, and, you're, and, you, and it's like you, you turn around and you listen to all these negatives. They're not helping you. You don't need those songs. You need to change the station. No. No. You need to get the station that's going to sing the song of the Lord. Change the station on your heart. Change the soundtrack. Get a song that is of the Lord because it will put strength on the inside of you. Oh, you don't believe me because what you sing about, you bring about. You picked a fine time to. No, stop it. So David was a worshiper before he was a warrior. David was a worshiper. He wrote most of the Psalms. The Bible says he played the harp and wrote songs and poetry. Most of our Psalms are the Psalms or the songs of David. It's interesting because Israel had an army, but no one wanted to fight Goliath. And if you read in 1 Samuel 17, they all describe the size and the might and the valor of Goliath. And a champion went out from Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span, nine foot nine. He had a bronze helmet upon his head, a coat of mail upon his chest, bronze armor on his legs, thighs and feet. In his hand was a spear. In his back, there was a sword and a shield bearer went before him. And, and, and all, all it does is describes the giant that because their focus was, but David David wasn't kind of making the giant, the problem, the issue, the negative doctor's report, the, the repossession, the house in full. He wasn't making that his focus. David was over here worshiping the Lord. Because the Bible says when you and I worship the Lord, what we're doing is we're magnifying the Lord. It's not that God is little and needs to be made bigger. When you magnify something, I don't change the thing I'm magnifying. I just change my perception of it you didn't hear me. I says, when I magnify an ant, I'm not changing the ant. I'm just changing my perception. Wow, look at how little guy. And I see things. When you put things under a microscope, you magnify and you see things you've never seen before. When you worship, you are magnifying the Lord and you begin to see his grandeur. You begin to see his magnificence. You begin to see his benevolence. You begin to see his might. You begin to see his strength. You begin to see his power. You begin begin to see his mercy. You begin to see that his hand is upon you. David, because he was worshiping, saw the brilliance of Almighty God, saw the magnificence. So when he walks into the battlefield and everyone's, who Goliath, he walks out and says, who is this pipsqueak? Who is this insignificant? He probably said it in a Russian accent. Who is this insignificant insect that he tried to defy the armies of living God? Today I will take his head. It's a little bit naughty, but anyway, I went there. And so, so David doesn't see Goliath as the big guy because he's been worshiping. He sees God, he sees all things are possible with God. You want to get strength, change your song. Get a song. See, the Bible says they all came to Moses. When the waters were bitter, they come to Moses. Why, why, why Moses? Because Moses had a song. See, when people face tragedy, when people face difficulty, when fe- people face adversity, when people face struggles, people always go to someone who's got strength. They always go to someone who's got something. When you're in debt, you go to someone who's got some money to lend you. When you are out of power, you go to someone who's got some power. Moses was the same as them. He was just a human being. If you cut him, his blood was red. What was the difference? Well, they went to Moses because Moses had a song. Because he had a song, he had strength. You've got to get a song. You've got to get a song. So they, they go to Moses. And point number three, Moses prays, and the Lord showed him a picture of a tree. Showed him a picture of a tree. Now this is about 2,000 years before Jesus. So Moses, because he has the right song playing, he has the right perception in his life. The devil wants to fill your life with the wrong songs so he can give you the wrong perceptions. You'll start feeling that life is against you. You'll start feeling that things are working not for you, but you, you'll, just, you'll see women in wrong. You'll start seeing money and cribs and bling and whatever you just it'll screw up your perception but you get the right song you get the right perception and Moses when he sees sees a tree because I'm not sure whether you realize it but everything was lost in a garden at a tree but God uses a tree to redeem everything the cross the cross is so powerful it's the central centerpiece of human history Time is split in half based on the cross. B.C., before Christ, A.D., Anno Domini, which literally means the year of our Lord. It's based on the cross. The Bible says in Galatians 3.13 that Jesus became a curse to redeem those from under the curse. As it is written, Cursed is any man that hangeth on a tree. Jesus hung on the cross to redeem mankind. And so Moses, 2,000 years earlier, this bitter stream, bitter water's flowing. You can't drink it. And God just shows him the cross. He just shows him a tree. So Moses goes and takes the tree and he throws it into, into the bitter rivers. And immediately the waters are made sweet. The bitter rivers don't overcome the tree, the wood. They don't change the nature of the wood, but rather the wood completely transforms the ecological structure of the water so that the water goes from bitter to sweet. Can I just tell you, if you build a life of consistency, if you build a life where you get not just sing church songs, but make them your song, this is my song. When you make them your song, you find yourself seeing the cross and you'll be able to put the cross into the bitterness of your disappointment you be able to put the cross in the bitterness of that abuse that you suffered. You'll be able to take the cross and you put it in the bitterness of that rejection. You put it into the bitterness of that failure. You put it into the bitterness of that hurt, that letdown. You'll be able to take the cross and put it into the bitterness of of what it was to lose my home in 2014, the bitterness of what it was to lose a child, to to miscarry, to to, to try and fall pregnant again, only to be disappointed again. You'll take the cross, and the cross will take what is bitter and transform it into something sweet that you'll be able to drink from, knowing that God has provision just around the corner. There are 12 wells, and there are 70 palm trees, but you got to see the cross. you got to see the cross i found that if I'm consistent, everyone say consistent. i found that if I just sing the right song, if I can just, if I sing the song of the Lord, if I make it my song, it helps me to see the cross. And If I apply the cross, it turns bitter things. Romans eight twenty eight. God makes all things work together for good, for those who love God and are called according to your purpose. Securing freedom, it's no harder than that. Consistency get a song of your own, see the cross, see the tree.